good morning, Overlake. My name is Rory, and I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and I am delighted to be with you this morning. Pastor Mike's on a little vacay, but he'll be back very shortly. Today we are in week number two of a series entitled, What's the Deal? And we're going to be asking the question, what is the deal with prayer. And I'd like to start this morning by sharing a story. I actually shared this a few years ago, but I'm going to share it again because it's going to make the point that I want you to walk away with this morning. And it goes like this. There's two little kids who just received a kitten as a gift and they're out in their front lawn and they're playing with this kitten when all of a sudden a motorcycle comes screaming by their house and the kitten gets frightened and he crawls up a tree and gets stuck between two sharp branches. Little boy, little girl, they're, they're crying to the kitten, come down, come down, but it's stuck. And so they run inside their house and they grab their dad. Their dad happens to be a pastor and pastors are always coming up with great ideas. The dad, he comes on outside, he sees the situation and sure enough, the cat is stuck. So he gets a bright idea. He runs inside the garage, grabs some rope. He grabs the rope, brings it back outside, ties the rope around the tree, and ties the other end of the rope around the back end of the family station wagon. Then he proceeds to hop in the family station wagon, turn on the ignition, press down on the gas pedal, thinking that as he presses down on the gas pedal, that tree and that rope are going to just bend slowly, slowly. So sure enough, he presses down on the gas pedal and that tree, it bends slowly, slowly, presses down a little bit more. That tree bends a little bit more, presses down just a little bit more, and then snap! The rope snaps and that little kitten goes... and lands somewhere blocks away, never to be seen again, or so he thinks. See, this pastor, he, uh, he goes and makes house calls during the week. And a couple weeks later, he's making house calls and he shows up to this woman's front door, knocks on the door. As she opens the door, he notices that there's the little kitten right next to her feet. And he says, wow, that's a mighty fine kitten you have right there. And uh, he asks, how long have you had her? And she says, Pastor, you won't believe this. Just a couple weeks ago, I'm out gardening in the backyard when my little son, Johnny, just keeps pestering me. Mom, can we have a cat? Mom, can we have a cat? Mommy, please, can we have a cat? And I just say, no, Johnny, you cannot have a cat. But he just keeps pestering me. Mommy, can we have a cat? Mommy, can we have a cat? Finally, I say, if you pray to the Lord Jesus... And he decides that it's right for you to have a cat. He will provide for you a cat. And then, Pastor, you won't believe what happened next. We just hear this little thump. And out walks this kitten. And Johnny's overjoyed. It's a miracle. You know, here's, here's the big idea. This is the one thing I want you to walk away with this morning. And it's something that little boy understood that day. Is that if we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. If we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. So today, we're asking the question, what is the deal with prayer? And it makes sense for us to start by actually then defining what prayer is. Like, what is prayer? And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Prayer is simply this. It's communicating with our Creator. That's all prayer is. It's simply communicating with our creator. Unlike popular belief, there is no magic formula that you need to follow to communicate with God. There are no seven happy hops to effective prayer. You don't have to use fancy words. You don't have to fold your hands a certain way. One of the greatest things about prayer is that you can do it anytime, anywhere, no prerequisites. You can do it with your eyes open. You can do it with your eyes shut. 
You can do it standing up. You can do it sitting down. You can do it while you're in the car or while you're on the toilet seat. I just did it. (laughs) Prayer, prayer is simply this, friends. It's communicating with your creator. It's saying, hey, dad, and striking up a conversation with your heavenly father. So then, if that's what prayer is, second question is, why should we pray? And then not only why should we pray, what should we pray for? What I want to do right now is give you just a little three-minute systematic theology lesson. We're just going to walk through scripture and we're going to answer those two questions. Why should we pray and what should we pray for? This is on your outline as well. Uh, Why should we pray? The first reason we should pray is because Jesus prayed. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left his house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, if it was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. Now, why should we pray? The Bible says we should pray also to obtain wisdom. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should go ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Why should we pray? The Bible also says we should pray to receive healing. James 5, 15, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Why should we pray? Luke 6, 12 and 13 says, we should pray for discernment. Should I take the job? Should I go to that school? Should I marry him? The Bible says you can pray about those things. Why should we pray? We should pray also to overcome demonic barriers. We should pray to gain strength and overcome temptation. We should pray to strengthen others spiritually. We should pray for God's mercy, 1 Timothy 1, 2. We should pray for God's protection, Romans 15, 31. We should also pray for God's provision. And this is one we see all throughout scripture. I was just doing a quick reading of Old Testament passages. I thought three things stand out really quickly. There's stories in the book of Exodus. God's people prayed and he provided manna every single day for 40 years. In the book of Numbers, Moses prayed and God provided water out of a dry rock. In 1 Kings, we see Elijah prays and God provides ravens to bring him food while he's lying next to a little brook. We can pray for provision. That's all throughout scripture. What else can we pray for? We could pray for courage, Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. We should pray for deliverance, Matthew 6, 13. We should pray for forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. We should pray for opportunities to witness, Colossians 4, 3. We should pray for spiritual strength and growth, 2 Corinthians 13, 7 through 9. We should also pray to demonstrate our faith in God, Ephesians 3.20. Why should we pray? We should also pray because he has promised that when we ask for things in accordance to his will, he will give us what we ask for, 1 John 5.14 and 15. And why should we pray? This is probably the most important of all. We should pray because when we pray, we actually get to know God. See, prayer is just not this one-way exchange. It's this two-way divine dialogue that we have with our creator. And sometimes we speak to him, but other times he speaks to us. And as we do that, we build and form this beautiful relationship. That should be the chief end of all of our prayers. But now I know what you're thinking. We go through all those shoulds. You're like, Rory, you just shoulded all over me. There are really thousands of reasons you should pray, but the reality is many of us don't, or we don't pray much. And why is that? For some of us, it's because we think we are too busy. 
If we're honest, we kind of treat prayer like a AAA card. Use only in case of an emergency. So when your wife is sick or that pink slip shows up or collections makes its way to your door, then you'll pray. For some of us, we let our butts get in the way. I'll pray, but uh, I got to get over this addiction first. I'll pray, but let me just get over this habit. I'll pray, but I got to kind of get myself cleaned up first. And honestly, if that's the way you think about prayer, you're never going to be clean. You're never going to be right. And you will never pray if that's your thinking. For others of us, you're not really sure that you believe prayer actually works. If God is all-powerful, if he's all-knowing, isn't all of this fixed anyway? Your thinking is kind of uh, like this when it comes to prayer. You think of prayer like the national anthem before a football game. It's part of the pageantry, right? But it really has no bearing on the actual game. Some of you, you're afraid, and maybe rightfully so. Maybe you've been wounded. Somewhere along the line, you were taught that prayer is a formula, and you did the formula, and the formula didn't work. Your marriage was not restored. Your child was not healed. And so you start to think to yourself, well, maybe I just have too much sin in my life. Or maybe my faith wasn't strong enough and you start to get messed up in your head and so you choose not to pray because it's safer for you not to pray than to be hurt again. And still others of you, you know you should pray, but you are indifferent. I mean, you've heard the sermons, you've read the books, you're educated, but it's like you're educated far beyond the level of your obedience. When it comes to prayer, you're just kind of like, mm, eh. And for many of us, for many of us, that's you. That's me. I'm indifferent sometimes. That's why we don't pray. But here's what I want to do right now. I want to share with you. We went through a laundry list of reasons why we should pray. We walked through some of the reasons why we don't pray. Let me tell you the reason that I've been praying as of late. Someone unlocked this passage for me. It's from Luke chapter 11. It's verses 5 through 9. It's a parable. Parables are simply this. They're they're stories uh, that are heavenly stories, but they have an earthly meaning. In other words, there's more going on here than meets the eye. And Jesus, he's been teaching his disciples about prayer. In fact, he just taught them the Lord's Prayer. And then he dives in and he shares this story and he says this, and it's in your handout. So suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And then Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So all of us in this place, we all have neighbors. Maybe you live in an apartment building, and you've got neighbors on either side of you or above you and below you. Maybe you're in a dorm room, and you've got neighbors. Maybe you're in a cul-de-sac like my family. We all have neighbors, and what I want to do right now is I want to tell you about my neighbor, Bruce. My neighbor, Bruce, he's one of those guys who's got every kind of lawn and power tool known to man. 
And Bruce, uh, he's seen the condition of my house and my yard. And he's told me on a number of occasions that I could borrow his tools anytime. In fact, he has, he's encouraged me to borrow his tools. He's not only encouraged me to borrow his tools, he's offered me large sums of money to borrow his tools. The point I want to make is that even in our culture today, especially up here in the Northwest, where so often, especially in these winter months, we can be so isolated. The idea is, even still in the culture that we live in today, if you were to ask your neighbor to borrow something, even in our culture, they would most likely say yes. But, but it's nothing like in Jesus's day. See, hospitality in Jesus' day was a much higher value than it is now. And we need to understand this in order to see what Jesus is driving at in the story. He says, somebody arrives at your house. And of course, in those days, there were no places to stop along the way for food. No golden arches, no Taco Bells. So giving and receiving hospitality, they were actually essential for survival. And the hour of arrival was irrelevant. Even if it was midnight, the host had to provide the meal whether he wanted to or not, and the guest had to eat the meal whether he wanted to or not. That's just kind of the way hospitality worked back then. And so when a stranger came to somebody's house, the stranger was regarded not just as the guest of the home, but also as a guest of the entire village. So the meal, it had to be the best that the village could offer. And so here, Jesus says, a guest arrives and the host is not adequately prepared to feed him that kind of a meal. And Jesus said, the host goes to the neighbor and the host says, a guest has arrived. I have nothing to set before him. Now, does that really mean that the host had no food? Like he was, he was starving? No, that's, that's not what he's going at. It's kind of like this. Have you ever heard, maybe a spouse sitting next to you, have you ever heard someone say, I have nothing to wear? Right? We've all said that before, and that doesn't mean you literally have nothing in which to cover your body, that you can only go to this event if it's clothing optional. That's, that's not what it means. What it means is I have nothing to wear that won't make me look like a fashion-challenged hag married to a cheapskate. That's kind of what it means. Um, I have nothing, in other words, to wear that will uphold the honor of our family. And that's the idea that Jesus is trying to give us here. The host is going to the neighbor saying, I have nothing to serve this guest that will uphold the honor of our community. And so out of politeness, he asks for just the minimum. He says, could I have three loaves of bread? Bread in that day, it wasn't the meal. It was kind of like the knife and the fork. They would have the main dishes in a pot and then the people would take a fresh piece of bread and dip it in the the bowl and kind of eat their meal that way. And so the host here here is asking his neighbor for just the minimum, kind of out of politeness, but with the understanding that the neighbor will offer everything that's needed. He's trusting the generosity of the neighbor. Now, if you were a neighbor, uh, you wouldn't hesitate to do something like that in that day. It would be an honor to be asked. It would mean that you were thought of as a person of substance and generosity in that community. And of course, this scene is also happening publicly. Several people in the neighborhood, they would be hearing this conversation happening in the village. And to say no would be a disgrace not only to you, but to the entire village. And Jesus then says, now imagine this. Imagine you go to your neighbor and your neighbor says, we've already bolted up the door for the night. The kids are in bed. They might wake up. I can't do it. These would be recognized by Jesus's listeners as ludicrous excuses. And that's the point. 
See, grammatically, Jesus starts the story like this. He says, can you imagine this happening? Can you imagine this? The expected reply would be, no, no, this could never happen. This is absurd. Jesus' disciples would be chuckling over this. And Jesus says, okay, but for the sake of argument, pretend like it happens. What should you do? He says, just stand there by the door. Just don't go home. Just stand there by the door and keep knocking every once in a while. Just keep knocking. That guy, he's not going to be able to go back to sleep. He'll say to his wife, is he still out there? And his wife will say, yeah, he's still out there. And eventually, Jesus says he will respond. You know he will. If nothing else, if he won't do it because he's your friend, just sheer persistence will wear him down, but he will respond. Now, let's pause for a moment. Let's pause because more than any other parable, perhaps, that Jesus tells, it's very important we understand what Jesus is not saying in this parable. See, Jesus is not saying that God is like a cranky neighbor. It's not what he's saying. And it's urgent. It's really urgent that we understand this because there are people who think that God is reluctant to give them anything in response to prayer. That he's not really concerned with their desires or their fears or their hopes. That Jesus is not saying that at all in this passage. Instead, Jesus is saying something like this. He says, when you go to this neighbor, everything is against you. It's night. He's asleep. The doors are locked. The kids are tucked in. He may not even like you. And yet still you go to him and you know he will respond. You knew eventually, if nothing else, persistence would do it. And so you persist. And if that's the case, Jesus is saying, how much more should you persist with a God who is never asleep, but is always attentive to you? Friends, one of the chief reasons I pray is because I know I have a God who responds I know I have a God who responds. And so therefore, Jesus says, ask. And grammatically, each of these verbs here is given in the present tense and the imperative, which could be translated, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Why? You have a God who responds. So why should I pray, friends? I think you should pray because you have a God who responds. Now listen very closely, and it's super important to understand as well. Just because we have a God who responds does not mean that he will always respond the way that I want him to respond. See, sometimes God says yes, and that is awesome. But sometimes God says no. And still other times, God says, not yet. And I could show you scriptural examples of all of those instances. That's just reality. That's life. However, because I know I have a God who responds, who listens to me, I pray because I know my prayers are being heard. It says this in Psalm 66, 19, but God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. So, let me encourage you, if you know you have a God who listens, if you know you have a God who responds, then ask him stuff. 
Now, that's not the only purpose of prayer, but it's a big purpose. It's a big, big thing. It's a big part of prayer. And so if you know you have a God who responds, who listens to you, go ahead and ask him stuff. It's okay. Here's what I want to do with the last third of the message. I just want to give you four kind of big ideas, four things on prayer. I'm calling it the deal is. And the deal is, number one, what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. What you pray for reflects what you believe about God. I had a McMoment uh, earlier this week. I was at McDonald's on 85th with my good buddy, Ike. He's one of our students in our student ministry. And I just asked him, said, Ike, what have you been praying for lately? And uh, he kind of blew me away. He blew me away with this just kind of big prayer. One of his friends at school's got cancer. And he said, you know what? I'm just praying God would eradicate cancer. I was like, that is an awesome prayer. That is, that is so cool. And then I started to kind of reflect on my own prayers uh, from the past week. And my prayers were much smaller prayers. It's like, God, can you please give me the parking spot there at Target? Um, God, would you just give me some traveling mercies? Like, and here's the deal. What's so cool about God is that God, um, nothing is too big and nothing is too small. I, I think God does care about your parking lot prayers. I, I think he cares about traveling mercies. Those are important prayers. But God, nothing's too big for him either. Like God could eradicate cancer. And what I realized in that moment is that my small little prayers kind of reflected this belief that I believed in this small little God. But as I look at the Bible, that's not the God of the Bible. That is not the Christian God. See, the God of the Bible is a God who spun the planets into motion. The God of the Bible is the God who uses the earth as his footstool. The God of the Bible is the guy who says, I will do exceedingly, abundantly, more than all that you could ask or imagine. So ask me something hard. That's what I felt. That was the whisper I felt in that space as I was reflecting on my prayers. It was like, Rory, Rory, you're hearing Ike pray to eradicate cancer. He's like, that's small to me, man. I, I, that's a big prayer. Your prayers have been so small. I want you to realize, am I not the same God who turned the white caps into a red carpet for myself? Am I not the God who uh, took a little boy's Lunchable and fed 5,000 people? Am I not that God? Am I not the God who made the sun stand still? And I was like, yeah, God, you are that God. And then it was like, he's like, come in closer, Rory. Come in closer. If I'm that God, then ask me hard stuff. Ask me big things. It's okay. I can handle it. And here's the deal. That God is also the God who says, if we have the audacity to ask him, he has the ability to perform. That's our God. This leads us to point number two. If you are not daring to believe God for the impossible, you are sleeping through some of the best parts of the Christian life. If you are not daring to believe God for the impossible, you are sleeping through some of the best parts of the Christian life. James 5.16 says, The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. 
That word powerful is the Greek word dudamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. God says our, our prayers are dynamite. When I was 14 years old, my grandfather passed away and my dad was at work cleaning out his house and on his bedstand, he uh, found a little Tupperware container. And in that container were all these really old firecrackers. And so my dad, knowing that I love fireworks, because what 14-year-old doesn't like fireworks, brings them home to me and gives me the little Tupperware container and I have a heyday with fireworks. And what I realized is at the very bottom of the container, there's a little red smoke bomb. Or I thought it was a smoke bomb. Uh, it was not a smoke bomb, um, but I proceed to take what I think is a smoke bomb out into the middle of the cul-de-sac. I light the little wick and I start to walk away. And what I didn't realize as I'm waiting for this little plume of red smoke to appear is that that's not a smoke bomb, that's a cherry bomb. And that cherry bomb is like the power of half a stick of dynamite. And it explodes. And it was like a small-scale Scud missile hit our cul-de-sac. It was so loud, my eyes were vibrating in my head. And I was so scared. I was gone faster than my self-esteem at a Zumba class. I was gone. <laughs> and the idea is this. I had no idea the power I was playing with. No idea at all. And that's what God says about prayer. He says it is powerful. It is like dynamite. That same year, I have the little cherry bomb explosion. I had another uh, moment that just absolutely changed my perspective when it came, came to prayer. I have a buddy, his name's John. His dad used to be a pastor here on staff and part of his father's job is that he would take trips to Kenya and they would do work over there. And so John is over there with his dad doing work in Kenya. John's a basketball player and a really good one. And so when he gets to one of the villages, he sees that there's this little makeshift kind of basketball court. And so they start a little pickup game and he's starting to play with the, the guys in the tribe and they're playing, having a fun time. And then he goes up for a rebound grabs the ball, he comes back down, and then snap. His leg snaps. Compound, nasty injury, bone coming out of skin kind of thing. And then in that moment, he says, the village circled around him. They came running to that moment, and they began to pray. They laid hands on him, and they started to pray. And he said, after they were done praying, and now here, here's what you need to understand about John. John's not crazy. John is not the pink-haired lady on TBN. John is a normal person. And he says people prayed for him in that moment. And they lifted their hands and he was healed. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Let me tell you a story from just a couple weeks ago. Uh, I help in the young adults community here on Sunday nights, and we're uh, at the end of our service, and we're kind of doing the worship time, and one of our guys, his name's Hans, he's a DigiPen student, uh, again, part of our community here, and he feels like he gets this whisper from God, and he's been having this ringing in his ear all week, it's been driving him crazy, and he hears this whisper from God, he's like, um, God's saying to him, like, just pray for your ear. Pray that I would heal your ear. I want you to put your hand on your ear and pray that I would heal the ringing in your ear. And so he takes his hand and he puts it on his ear and he just asks God, God, would you take this ringing away from my ear? And it happens. See, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, but this is what James also says in chapter four, verse two of his book. 
says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Sometimes we don't have because we do not ask. I'll put it another way. One person wrote this. One of the greatest tragedies in the world are the prayers that go unanswered simply because they go unasked. One of the greatest tragedies in the world are the prayers that go unanswered simply because they go unasked. However, if we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. And this leads us to number three. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. It says this in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is an amazing story of uh, Bono, lead singer of U2. And in the early 2000s, he was touring in Africa during the height, the pinnacle of kind of the HIV and AIDS epidemic. And he was crushed by what he saw. Mothers and fathers dying in front of their children, children left without parents, time and time again. This was the story. And then one morning he woke up and he looked in the mirror and he cried out to God. He said, where are you? Where are you in all of this mess? And what's the answer to all of this? And then Bono says he heard a whisper. Someone said the reason that God whispers is simply because he's close. And so he hears this whisper and he's crying out to God, where are you in all this mess? Half angry. And then he says, what's the answer to this, God? And then God whispers, you're looking at it. He's looking in the mirror. He's crying out to God, where are you, God? What's the answer to this mess? And God says, you're looking at it. So in 2005, he and some buddies, they started the Red Campaign. You've seen it at Apple. You've seen it at The Gap. You've seen it at Starbucks. And since the RAD campaign was established, they have raised over $10 billion for the HIV AIDS uh, epidemic and work to go and eradicate it. And they've made monumental strides in the fight to really take this disease off this planet. Now, the truth is God can answer prayer all by himself, yes. But I also think he takes special delight in using his people in fact, I might go as far as saying his preference is to use his people to answer his prayers. See, if we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform, and sometimes he performs through us. And then this leads us now to number four. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Sometimes I think we mistakenly think that God is offended by our bold prayers, but the truth is God is offended by anything less. Let me share with you a story from an evangelist and scholar. His name's Tony Campolo, and this will kind of finish out the sermon for this morning, but I think it really hits this point home. Tony Campolo says, there's a Pentecostal college near Eastern College where I teach. I'm not a Pentecostal, but I preach so fast that they think I'm speaking in tongues, so it works out okay. One day, they invited me to speak at a chapel service. I like speaking there because they're dynamic, happy people. Just before I spoke, eight guys took me to a back room and got me down on my knees, and then they laid their hands on my head and prayed for me, and that was good. I need all the prayer that I can get. Only one problem. These guys prayed a long time. And that's usually okay, but the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. And I want to tell you, when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good. 
One guy, he wasn't even praying for me. Instead, he kept on praying for somebody named Charlie Stoldfus. Dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie Stoldfus. He lives in that silver trailer a road, uh, 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 down, the, down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. I kind of felt like saying, knock it off, dude. What are you thinking God's saying? What's the address again? Anyways. He went on and on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his wife and three kids. Walk out on his family, Lord. Step in. Do something. Bring the family back together again. And while I'm kneeling there, eight guys leaning on my head. So I'm asking myself, what's, when's he going to knock it off so I can get on and, and get these preachers off my head? But he kept going on and on about Charlie Stoltz, leaving his wife and kids. Constant reminder. He's living in this silver trailer a mile down the road. Right-hand side, God, finally. Finally, the prayers were over, and I got to the pulpit, and I preached, and after I finished, I got in my car, drove down the Pennsylvania Turnpike, headed for home, and as I drove onto the Turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. Now, I know you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher, and whenever I can get anybody locked in as a captive audience, I do it. <laughs> so I stopped, and I picked him up, and we drove a few minutes, and I said, hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? And he said... My name is Charlie Stoldfus. I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy with that. And after a few minutes, he said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? And I said, I'm taking you home. <laughs> he narrowed his eyes just a little bit and asked why. I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? And that blew, that blew him away. He said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door, never took his eyes off me. And I drove off that turnpike at the next exit. And then I really did him in as I drove right up to that silver trailer. <laughs> and when I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge. And he asked me, how did you know I lived here? I said, God told me. <laughs> I believe God did tell me. And we got out of that car and I ordered him to get into that trailer. Half shaking, he answered, right, Mr. Sure, I'm going. And when he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. And then he whispered in her ear. And the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. And then I said with real authority, the two of you, sit down. I'm going to talk to you and you're going to listen. And man, did they listen. He writes, that afternoon, those two young people were led to Jesus Christ in that silver trailer. And today, that guy is the preacher of the gospel out in California. Friends, sometimes God shows up and sometimes God shows off. And if we have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. And I don't know how you walked in this place this morning. I don't know if you were afraid, if you're too busy, if you're not really sure that prayer really works. Like, I don't know how you came in this place, but I pray that as you walk out this morning, that at the very core of your being, you know that if you simply have the audacity to ask, God has the ability to perform. So go ahead and ask him. Ask him big, God, audacious kind of prayers. Why? Because again, he responds. He might say no. He might say not yet, but rest assured he is listening to you. So why in the world would you not ask him big things? 
We live in a dark, broken, dying world that is in desperate need of prayer. We need to pray that heaven invades earth. We need to pray that up there comes down here. That is the call of the Christian. But for many of us, myself included, we are educated far beyond the level of our obedience when it comes to prayer. We have not because we ask not. And I feel like God is in heaven just saying, ask me something hard. So would we do it? Would we ask God big, audacious, God-sized prayers? Because if we have the audacity to ask, rest assured, our God has the ability to perform. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, thank you that our word is living. Your word, God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It speaks to us, God. And Lord, thank you for the truth that was revealed to us this morning. Thank you that you are a God who responds. Thank you that literally right now, now you are seated at the right hand of the Father doing what? You are praying for us. You are interceding for us on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who listens and doesn't just listen, but you show up You're active, you're involved. You're unlike any other God in this world. Any other God, any other belief system, Lord, you show up, you're involved in your children's world. You get into their business. And so God, we thank you. We thank you that you don't just show up, but that you do show off. That if we have the audacity to ask, you have the ability to perform. We thank you, God, that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective They're dynamite, Lord. So help us now walk out of this place filled with your spirit, filled up, Lord, to pray audacious prayers, to believe you, God, for the impossible in our life and the lives of those we love. God, would you do a major move through Overlake Christian Church? Would you move mightily through the prayers of these people, your people, God? Would you change the east side? Would you change this world because of them? I pray these things in Jesus' name.